Welcome everyone, this is Sasha on Moving Mountains. Today we have the privilege of meeting Dr. Raman K. Atri. He is a global authority on speed in personal and professional performance. A leading scientist and one among few experts researching and speaking on speed, he specializes in research-backed strategies to speed up professional performance by 200% and helping organizations to reduce employee time to proficiency by 50%. An organizational learning leader at a $40 billion technology corporation, he manages a Hall of Fame training organization, named one among the top 10 in the world. Prolific author of 20 multi-genre books, he writes on accelerating human excellence. Passionate about learning, he holds two doctorates in the learning domain, earned over 100 international educational credentials, and is awarded some of the world's highest certifications. Undetermined from his disability and inability to walk since childhood, he continues to be an inspiring person. Personality. He spreads his positivity by guiding leaders and professionals on the science and the art of speed in all walks of life. He loves to share his insights and motivate people. Welcome to Moving Mountains, Dr. Tree. Thank you so much, Sasha, for having me on your show. You happen to host the platform speedtoproficiency.com, and you represent a couple roles. You are executive, an educator, a trainer, an author an artist, and a lifelong student. Aside from being a student, which role came into your life early on? But before we delve into that, you're welcome to share about your childhood. Yeah, sure, Sasha. Uh, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. Uh, so, yeah, you're, you said it right that, uh, you know, I kind of uh, a lifelong uh, learning student, you can say. Uh, learning has been pretty close to my heart. And uh, it is something which I have been, you know, kind of relying upon heavily since childhood. So just a little uh, at the context that uh, when I was six months old, I got polio virus. And uh, as a result, uh, I got paralyzed legs and I lost my ability to walk uh, well before the age to walk. So um, I had gone through lots of uh, struggles because of that. Um, fundamentally, also, there was some risk. Uh, for me getting some good educational out there and uh, other social challenges were there compared to you know the, having my friends or not or social circle were very limited so all those experiences basically led me with the only choice which i could uh, do at that point of time because uh, uh, my immobility basically didn't give me any other choice so all i had to do was to sit on the chair hold a book and start reading so i'm sure you can say pretty much i was self-learner uh, from the childhood, and once I started loving those books, uh, and uh, then I explored the entire journey of learning, and I thought, uh, you know, this is the area where I want to specialize, and that's how I kind of uh, being now a learning leader. Around what age did you come to realize that your parameters of existence differed than the children around you? 
So I think uh, I, I never knew that what happened to me because by the time I became cautious uh, about what's, what happened to me, it has already happened. So I originally thought that maybe that's the way I was born. Um, but uh, the things started becoming a little worse when I, I began to go to school. Um, first of all, there was, uh, of course, some risk going to school itself. But then there was something called calipers, which is a kind of uh, um, uh, iron plates. Uh, which are held together with some straps. The purpose of those calipers is to just keep my legs straight so that I could just have some sort of uh, robotics walk, you can say. So that was my major, uh, you know, breakthrough. That's the only way I could go to school. But uh, then uh, when go to school with other kids, I wasn't as fast as them. They were able-bodied, very healthy uh, kids, and they run around, you know, uh, just to have fun. So I couldn't match base with them, and uh, then I used to come home all alone myself. And it used to take uh, two hours uh, from school to home if I had to come alone. So those experiences uh, kept on repeating in different forms and shapes, and there were a series of things that I experienced. And I think at, at that point of time, I was about seven years old, and that was a time when I started feeling that, you know what, I got something uh, which is uh, possibly going to drag me down in my life or I'm not as good as others. So that's where that feeling started originating. And I thought uh, I need to figure out a way to come out of this. And understanding that there was a lack of speed in one sense at that time that you came up with the solution that you're going to outbeat people in many different ways down the road. Given that you've written many books that focus on many different genres, from science to business to operation, and then there's that other wave of where you exhibit your emotions and your artistic skills. At one point, did you start writing the very first book in your path? Uh, that's a good question, Sasha. Um, I think my book writing journey started pretty early, and so I need to set the context here. So first I started reading the books. And as I started loving the books, uh, in fact, I put my hand on any book, whatever was available, whether it was Dale Carnegie's book or whether arts or poetry. I even read palmistry. <clears throat> and then I went on to read uh, physics and all those complex subjects. So what happened is that part of the reading, uh, because I was trying my best to learn uh, better, and that was my also edge to learn faster than other because I thought that's going to be my X factor. So I tried every book. So as a result, what has happened is that my own exposure to different kind of genres have increased um, even during my high school. So in high school, then I started putting a little hands on writing poetry. And also I was engaged in doing some painting. I used to write some stories, uh, some magazine articles, and uh, uh, things like that. So, um, but what happens in my uh, proximity, I didn't have a whole lot of coaching or uh, access to publishers. So those things did not get published then. Those were published several years later uh, when I got all the resources, I got good connections. Um, but I began my journey with the arts, but then eventually ended up in science and the leadership and other domains as well. In your professional opinion, how would you define learning? It's very difficult because learning the way I see is the foundational trait of human existence. This is the only thing which every one of us can do, and this is the only thing we do better than any other species. We learn. 
and the learning starts in our uh, uh, way of behavior. We learn things by observing. We learn in our social circle. So learning is basically picking up the patterns, what you observe, what you hear, and then you figure out that, okay, there is something behind this. So your uh, curiosity to find a little bit more is what I think is learning, whether that learning is art, science, or any other subject. Uh, Trying to find something better, something more, uh, to just to fulfill your desire to know more is learning from my angle. You're also an educator, and in, from your experiences when you're delivering talks and classes before large audiences, what are the qualities of the most effective students that go on to attain success? Uh, good question, Sasha. Um, I have personally gone through that journey myself before being an educator. So uh, it took me a long while to understand that what kind of traits are going to be really useful and workable in professional settings. Um, and I learned it hard way through my experimentation. So when I go on to uh, deliver certain keynotes or training sessions, uh, I do emphasize uh, people on something, that there is a, a part of a, a thing. The most important part is that uh, education is there, which is always going to be with you, but the, the thing which you're going to value where, where you're going to be able to earn salary, where you're going to be able to become indispensable in professional setting are the skills. So you need to focus not just on content that you need to remember something, memory-based content or topic-based uh, curriculum. The most important piece is how do you learn something which is doable, uh, which uh, you can kind of work in form of a skill. So my focus uh, most of the time have been teaching students that Shifting your focus away from uh, uh, absorbing the content to deliver a skill, because skill is what is going to uh, convert into performance once you go into the job. Uh, but that the thought process doesn't come very uh, easily because our education system, um, whichever country it is, it's very content-focused, very topic-focused. But what is today's students need is they need more thinking-focused and more skill-focused uh, learning. Agreed. One of your clientele base also happens to be executives. What are the challenges that executives face when it comes to learning and keeping up at the times? Because there are people, once they make it to a certain tier of their profession, they're on cruise control. But we're living in a time where you can't take that on for granted. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think at the, at the executive level, the education we're talking about and learning they need to do is entirely different. Uh, I think the biggest value at executive level is your ability to think on your feet. And that uh, doesn't come through any training, frankly. That comes through our years of uh, failures and years of successes, years years of uh, experimentation. We learn by doing the things, and many times we do wrong and we learn from it. So that thinking-based skill set, what executives need, uh, that's a completely different set of uh, uh, skill set. And uh, my biggest challenge has been uh, teaching executives how they can acquire that. Because part of that thinking, the process is also speed. Uh, These days, the executives don't have time. They they don't have time to even absorb uh, a new content, and they certainly do not have time to learn new skills. All they need is they're going to need to master something very quickly. And uh, our recommendations to executives have been that uh, things are going to evolve. Things are going to keep changing in the business. 
But when we focus on principle-based thinking, principle-based thinking means um, the certain principles, uh, the way you should approach the problem, those are universally true everywhere, and those have been universally true ever since those have been evolved in sciences or arts. So focus on building your foundational principle or concept-based skills, then it's going to take you a long way, no matter what kind of situation you're going to run into. So that's a pretty challenging field by, field, by the way. And you've already also touched upon analysis paralysis. When it comes to executives, how are you able to help them dissolve that matter of analysis paralysis? And when they are paralyzed in thinking, is it coming from a place of fear? Uh, that's correct. That's correct. I think we are pretty much, uh, you know, going out of that phase of uh, analysis, you know, paralysis by analysis, because if you see uh, Industry 3.0, even Industry 2.0, 2.0, uh, when you move to Industry 3.0 era, it was very data-driven. And uh, we didn't have a lot of technologies that can analyze data and that can, and that can analyze the patterns or trends. So what happened is that executive depended on their mental skills, to analyze the data, and uh, because it, most of the process was manual. So as a result, uh, uh, they got into that loop, never-ending loop of uh, being, analyzing new information, waiting for new information, integrating into their decision-making, and then learn back again. But now we are saying a different thing, that we are talking about Industry 4.0, which are driven by the data analytics, big data, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, these are the kind of technologies which can look at large amount of data in fraction of second and can plot you the trends and give you very, very informed decision. So now what happens is by using these technologies strategically, the decision-making power, what executive get, that has been over-accelerated. And that is the right move now because they don't have to analyze. All they have to look at the parameters uh, what comes out of that analysis and make a quick analysis based on that. So I think I answered your question that the trend is changing. It used to be there in the past, but now we're uh, seeing the shift happening in business. That helps us transition to you're also a performance scientist. What is the typical day like with the work that you do? As a performance scientist, my main uh, focus is uh, uh, looking at research. Uh, because in performance sciences, uh, we do have a lot of research available. There are classic studies out there. Uh, but the problem what happens is that who are our performance uh, practitioners in organization? Those are our trainers or training designers, training managers, or the people who are working with employees' performance. And the disconnect we have over here is that they are not researchers. They don't have a training in the science of uh, learning. So that's where my, you know, thing comes about is I look at the research study. So in a day, I would uh, look at the databases. I would look at what the new study has come. I spend about uh, an hour studying those. Then I will take some notes. I will see that how it can be presented. Sometimes I create graphics or presentation out of that. Uh, but then most part of my day is uh, talking about what performance challenge we have because I think our field runs uh, more around problems rather than solutions, because finding solutions takes time. So we talk about problem. Is it a realistic problem? How badly it is affecting it? So my day typically gun, uh, go 
discussing those problems and trying to find out which one particular problem is critical one which I should focus and go back and do my research. Um, but again, uh, even uh, I call myself a performance scientist, but it's, uh, now it's the, the way we do the work has changed over the years. We have more conversation-oriented interactions rather than uh, uh, you know, sitting in front of the computer and digging through the uh, piles of data. It's all about uh, understanding, talking to people, uh, fig uh, figuring out what kind of challenge they are facing. So that's how my typical day will go. And when I come back home, I do a little bit of a writing work to put all the observation in play so that it has a long-term value. Is there a certain number of occurrences that have to prop up in terms of challenges, or is it a set period of time that you study before you can coin it to be a trend? I think the, now the world has changed. Uh, Sometimes the problems are so complex that you have to understand that trend. But again, time is so, such a big essence now because we're so short of time. Sometimes we have to use combination of data and intuitions together to make a right call that what could work in a given situation. So the intuition, again, uh, is not a, a kind of gut feeling. Intuition comes because of our years of experience. We have seen that uh, yeah, certain things work, certain things do not. So it's just like uh, a TV mechanic comes to your home. If TV is not working, he comes and he just touches it, and he can tell you what's, what's really wrong with the TV. So same way our intuition develops over years of uh, observations, what works, what doesn't work, what, uh, what kind of parameters we have seen in one case versus the another. So we do combine a lot of things, data as well as intuition, to make a business decision. So this is where, you know, the things become interesting. As a researcher, we use lots of data, lots of studies, a lot of background uh, information. But as a business leader, we use a lot of rational thinking, and we also use the parameter like what's the priority, what's the urgency, and we'll look at uh, you know, what, where we can use intuition. So from a business standpoint, research and intuition has to make some sort of balance. One of the foundations on your platform is learning. How would you accelerate the learning process? Because you do host over 100 credentials, and how were you able to acquire these credentials while coexisting with time and taking care of yourself? Uh, okay, yeah, that's, uh, that could be challenging for some. Uh, yeah, now, Sasha, thank you so much for asking that question. Um, I think uh, I had some advantage back then when I started my learning journey, as I said, I didn't have enough mobility. So more or less, I didn't have a lot of uh, social distractions. So I could actually sit and focus. Because if I don't do, I had nothing else to do. And back there in my days, we didn't have anything called internet, computer, or those kind of technologies. So only thing I had was books. But then um, over the time, I became pretty good with grasping the concepts. So what I realized is that as I was progressing, that our schools did not teach us the right way to learn. The reason for that one I understood later in my uh, life is that the teachers who teach us, they have never experimented that rigorously on their own learning path. They are content experts. They know the content but they cannot teach you how to learn that content or the subject uh, quickly or thoroughly. And I think they also have their own challenges too. 
So that was the biggest gap, what I found. Then I say, you know what, there must be a way. There must be certain ways of strategy that can work. So over the years, then I figured out that uh, uh, there are certain ways, like uh, you focus on concept, or you draw the concept maps of the material so that you can grasp it uh, quickly. And uh, I also use the multi-sensory power of our brain when you learn something in three, four different channels, like uh, you use audio, you use visual, you use uh, uh, textual, all together, then what happens is brain encodes that information quickly, and it retains there for a longer time. So that was the one trick I used because of which I could uh, understand the information quickly, and uh, I could actually start uh, lots of different uh, streams. There is another piece I also uh, used to try was, and there is a misconception about focus also. Uh, that's, uh, that I realized very early in my uh, high school. Um, typically, uh, people are, we force people, okay, you, you're going to focus, you're going to sit for hours and hours, and you're going to focus on this thing, and you're going to finish it. Uh, I think that was old school uh, thought process of focus. Now, in today's world, there are so many distractions. We can't really sit down for that many hours continuously to focus. So I figured out a technique of what I call threading. Threading is where uh, you can start several threads of work in parallel, but you can leave any thread at any point of time. Just note down where did you leave it. You can switch over to the next thread. You go on, accomplish something a little bit more, but don't try to accomplish everything in one go in a small piece. Then you can switch on back to the thread you have left. So when you continue your work in form of threads, in the beginning you will feel you've got 10 different things to do, uh, and you might feel that you are unproductive. But as the time progresses, all those threads will be close to completion, and then one after the other you will start completing and you will come across very productive. So these kind of techniques how to learn effectively, how to learn better. Unfortunately, nobody teaches us in school, college, or university. And people struggle and they learn from their own struggles. So, but I think I mastered that art, and that's how I kind of uh, ended up uh, earning so many uh, credentials. And probably the, I was more comfortable doing it. It seems like my thing now. What is the latest credential that you've acquired? Um, my latest one is doctorate. Uh, I did my doctorate from Australia in uh, learning and performance. So I think that's the highest one. I don't intend to go anything beyond that. So that's a pitam, I would say. Even though you said you don't intend on going beyond that, is it possible mm -hmm. that you may come up with the highest credential out there that other people will aspire to achieve? Actually, I did two, uh, two doctorates already. So I think I have done my fair share of uh, credentials. I have gone to that to the highest uh, credential in the world, which is the doctorate, uh, PhD. There is nothing beyond PhD. Um, but uh, uh, the level has never been a motive for me. I mean, I, when I did my master after doing master degrees, I actually went back and did lots of diplomas. So level doesn't really matter. What, what's important is the content and what really the skill we want to acquire. So I think at this point of time, uh, I have reached to a stage where I think uh, time is right to share with the rest of the world how they can be better learners, 
So I would rather spend my time teaching them how they can be more productive and be better learners and a faster learner. So I kind of made a little cautious choice now to shift my focus in that direction. Most of the books that you've written in the business genre focus on the performance enhancement strategies. There's focus on time efficiency, quality management. Your latest book is Speed Matters. What made you come up with and create another manual that focuses on speed when speed has been the underlying theme throughout the decades? Uh, that's a good question, Sasha. Uh, you're right. In fact, every book I wrote you would find the word accelerate or speed up in some form, either in the title or subtitle, uh, because that's my main focus. I, I write the books with the skill set which help people speed up. But then um, recent uh, pandemic has uh, shifted a lot of dynamics in the market. Uh, in fact, we have seen that lots of business leaders, business owners, and organizations, they struggle. Um, there are some instances that employees even struggle to learn those simple uh, uh, technologies like Zoom. Many of the guys, uh, when the pandemic started, they didn't know how to use those kind of software. Those are pretty simple ones. So similarly, they have even bigger challenges. Many of the organizations have lost their market share. Some of them couldn't really deliver to the customer at the speed with which uh, this pandemic uh, hit us. So um, part of that one, what I realize is there are lots of loss going on in the market. Number one is during the pandemic, we realize speed is very important. But unfortunately, business leaders or executives, they were never trained on speed, uh, science of speed. And that was, we people use this word accelerate. I mean, I think uh, business leaders use this word too much, accelerate this, accelerate digital transform, transformation and accelerate skills. But the thing is, unless you quantifiably cut the time out of equation, unless you quantifiably speed the things up and you save the time, you do not accelerate. So the word accelerate has become too generic in conversation that it has lost its meaning. So I thought that we need to educate our leaders how to bring that culture and language of speed in their context because once the pandemic is over, during the post-COVID recoveries, most of the business leaders are going to need this skill. They need, need to come up to speed very quickly. They need to bring their speed up to a certain level of skill set very, very quickly if they are to compete in the market. So from that perspective, I put together this book called Speed Matters. I said speed is going to matter during pandemic. It's going to matter a lot after pandemic. And uh, I took this charge of educating the business leaders and executives uh, with that kind of thought process. So that's why I specifically wrote this title, Speed Matters. Dr. Archie, you are also a parent. As a parent, what do you teach your children about speed? Because oftentimes while growing up, we've heard haste is waste. So how our children are able to distinguish proficiency versus haste? Uh, good, very good question. I think that is a very fuzzy area at this point of time. Um, but also at the same time, there is a speed that comes when you push us for quicker completion of tasks. When um, leaders or parents, uh, they push their kids to do something very fast. That is a mad rush. That's not a true speed. It gives a short-term impression of speed. But in reality, that speed comes at the cost of quality. It comes at the cost of uh, um, depth 
and it comes uh, at the cost of uh, burning out, uh, uh, you know, people's peace, I would say. But the, the speed which I emphasize in my family environment with the kid, and particularly I tell students as well as executives also, that the speed we are looking for is how soon you can bring your kids, uh, your students, your learners, and your employees to a point where they do things first time right, consistently, reliably, and repeatably. How soon you can bring them to that point? Because when they start doing the things the first time right, you don't have to rework anything. And if you don't have to rework, you save a lot of time compared to other people who might be in a mad rush and deliver substandard service or product. So from that angle, if you see, the speed which I'm advocating might sound very slow in the beginning. It might come across very slow. But when you start achieving that point, what we call first-time right delivery, uh, eventually it gives you a long-term sustainable value. So I think for our kids and uh, our students or learners, we need to emphasize building their skills to reach to that point. It's going to take time, but once they're there, the speed which comes out of that uh, high level of efficiency, that is unmatchable. And for prospective students out there learning, what are some steps that they could take to become mindful of the speed to proficiency that they can master? There are two aspects to that one which I can elaborate for students because speed to proficiency is a pretty complex technical word, I would say. So I will break it down into saying that, okay, the time you take to become master in something, that's what we're talking about here. You need to kind of achieve that mastery in a shorter time. You're going to need to speed up your space to reach to that mastery. Now, when we say mastery, mastery has a context or a reference. So what kind of mastery is important? One mastery, what is important for student perspective would be the content. But when they go on to find jobs or in the professional world, the mastery matters about outcomes. So there is a, a distance between content learning versus the skill mastery, so outcome mastery, sorry. So what we're saying is that uh, you're going to need to focus on the outcomes because in order to produce a given outcome, you don't have to master every single content what has been given to you. So the moment you focus on outcomes, it determines, it becomes very thin, you only might need a fraction of uh, content or fraction of skills in order to produce an outcome. Uh, for example, if you are a salesperson, if you are uh, uh, actually going through a course on uh, sales and negotiation, um, in order to make sales, you don't have to be great in negotiation. You don't have to be great and master in uh, people's skills. You don't have to be great in uh, several other things you could have certain skills which are still developing, but you will still be able to make the sales if you focus on making the sales. What we're saying is the best way to speed up your mastery is to focus on the outcome uh, of the job or the work you are doing as opposed to the content that goes inside it. And finally, Dr. Tree, what are the latest projects that you're working on aside from introducing Speed Matters to global audiences? Right now, I am actually running an initiative. It's my research forum called Expert Access. 
So expert access, uh, you know, uh, it's a forum which, which I instituted with the main goal that I wanted to help people, professionals uh, and executives and leaders to speed up their path to excellence. And now I am using this word excellence because uh, you could learn, you could perform, you could attain mastery. But I think as a human being, our real goal in our life is to achieve excellence. And excellence is not in relationship to any competition. It's more of a your own race with yourself. You want to surpass the standard you set yesterday. So now we are saying is that uh, how do we help people so that they speed up their path or journey toward excellence, so that they achieve the kind of excellence they strive, whether in society or in their professional or personal life, in a shorter time. So if they can do that, imagine they can have lots of time, which they can use for lots of other things in their life. And that forum is focused on helping people out. So I'm putting a lot of uh, videos, blogs, reports, uh, and I'm going to run lots of seminars and conferences as well on this particular topic. So I'm kind of trying to convert it to, um, into a movement, I would say, so that people become more aware about uh, uh, accelerating their own excellence. If you had to dispense one action item for audience members to start working on their self-development, what would it be? I would stick to my last message. I would say that um, learning... If you master learning, if you master performance, or you master the skill, those are going to be stepping stone in your life. But that's not the end of it. I would say focus on striving the excellence. Because the moment you focus on excellence, you focus on making yourself better compared to who you were yesterday. So it takes away the equation to compete with the external world. So when we focus on, we say, speed up the thing, many times people say we're talking about, emphasizing about the competition. No, we're emphasizing about competition with yourself and uh, strive for excellence. That's our uh, major goal as a human beings. So that's what I would say and that everyone should focus on. That will be my message. Dr. Ashri, thank you for sharing your insights. You're welcome to let audiences know where they could reach you. Thank you so much, Sasha. It is my pleasure. So if audience would want to reach me, very, uh, the best way would be to go to my website. Uh, it's my name, ramankatri.com, and it will lead them to the Expertex forum, which I was talking about earlier. That's the best way to reach. Otherwise, they can search me, uh, Raman K. Atri, in any of the social media channels like LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Sasha. It's a pleasure being on your show.